0: As a mother, wife, and divorce attorney for over 15 years, experience has taught me a lot about how to deal with times of uncertainty, transition, and facing opportunities for growth. I'm happy you're joining me for this part of the journey. If you or someone you know is considering divorce, one of the biggest concerns you may have has to do with the cost of divorce. Certainly divorce can be very expensive. Today I have a panel of wonderful attorneys who are going to talk with us about what to expect when it comes to paying for a lawyer and what uh, some of the ways are that you can control those costs. I have Lindsay Barbie, Uh, Melody Pettit and Hannah Rector uh, as guests today. So welcome, ladies. I'm so happy to have you all here. Um, I can't think of amazing lawyers I'd rather talk with about this issue. Um, So one of the first questions I want to ask is, why is divorce so expensive? And uh, Melody, why don't we start with you?
1: Well, The divorce decree is a really important legal document. And it impacts your future regarding your property and regarding your children, so you wanna make sure it's drafted correctly.
0: And uh, people may not know if you've never seen a divorce decree. They can be really long.
1: (laughs) (laughs) They they can be really long. You can have, if there are children involved and everybody's customizing everything, including customizing visitation with the kids, customizing a property division, you you could have a decree that's 60 or 80 pages long. Um, if there's a lot of property, that's going to, you know, these things do take specialized drafting skills, and so they can be really long documents.
0: And of course, the divorce decree is the last document that gets entered as part of the divorce process. But before we even get to the divorce decree, there's other aspects of the process that cost money. Lindsay, what do you find with regard to some of the aspects of the divorce that, um, that can cost a lot of
2: money? I think that the level of conflict is something that is a good indicator of how much a case is going to cost in terms of the work that attorneys have to do. There's going to be conflict between the two people getting a divorce and what they're going through and finding a resolution to that. And there's also um, something that can drive up the cost of divorce is when there's conflict between the attorneys. And people th- seem to think that they want their attorneys to fight for them, but I always tell my clients, you want us to cooperate and get along so that we can focus our energy and time resolving your dispute, not just petty fighting between the two lawyers.
0: That is such a good point. I think it's true that a lot of people think they need to have the meanest, baddest lawyer um, who's going to represent them, but in fact, you want somebody who's really going to know how to help advance your case and help find solution whenever possible. Exactly. It's so a great point, Hannah. When we talk about um, you know different aspects of the divorce, what do you what do you find when you're working with clients can really add to the cost of a divorce?
3: One aspect that's difficult to control for is other professionals involved in the case besides just the attorneys. Um, we'll have experts for, for example, valuing a, a business that's owned by the parties. Um, so we can figure out how to divide it best. And another example would be a custody evaluator, you know, perhaps a child psychologist um, who's you know, compiling a report to show the court what could be in the best interest of the child. These people are going to work on an hourly basis and they're professionals. so. We, we, they're compensated for their time.
0: Do you find that you know early on in the case if experts are gonna be needed or is that something that comes up later?
3: Um, it, it depends. Usually I would say we know at the outset if there's a business, obviously we would know and whether it's worth spending the the resources to value that business. Um, and then depending on the level of conflict regarding the children and what kind of factors are at play. If we have um, addiction, for example, that's gonna complicate things you know a little bit further if we if we can't agree on, on conservatorship.
0: One of the important aspects of a divorce is um, is discovery, and that's a big term. Um, Lindsay, do you want to talk to us a little bit about discovery and how that factors into the cost of a divorce?
2: Absolutely, discovery is the process of information gathering. So it's everything from bank statements and financials, tax returns. And also when you talk about the kids um, in your case, there could be anything from their counseling records, educational records, emails with the teacher. And so the Texas Supreme Court in the last year has actually created a rule that applies to all cases where people are required to exchange those at least two years of those financial documents right in the beginning of the case. So as for a client, we like to give them that list of these mandatory documents and say, hey, go ahead early on. and." download this stuff, bring it to us, the more organized you can be putting everything in order, the less work that we're gonna have to do and potentially bill you for through one of our paralegals or secretaries to put it back together. So that is something that clients can really do to uh, lower the amount of work we need to do because you want us spending time reviewing the contents of the documents, not putting the pages in order.
0: And, you know, one of the things about um, discovery is, of course, there's the formal discovery process, which is a term of art that lawyers use. There's a whole lot of rules that go around it. um, And it applies whether you're represented by a lawyer or not. But there's also the opportunity for informal um, exchanges of information, which I think what you were talking about earlier in terms of lawyers getting along is one of those areas that can potentially be cost savings if, you know, everybody knows um, what needs to be exchanged and they go ahead
2: and exchange it. Absolutely, and I think the one thing too is that people sometimes, they hit this roadblock. They don't want to turn over this information or, oh, my spouse has access to that. And I just remind them that this is the court requiring us to do this. And if we do it informally, if we do it by agreement, it's much better than having to go to court to fight over something you know the judge is gonna tell you you have to turn over anyways and potentially face sanctions of having to pay the other side's lawyer for having to take you to court.
0: And I think that's a really important point for people to understand is that as lawyers, we have obligations to the court, to other attorneys um, to help provide the information. And so, you know, we we often encounter a lot of resistance when it comes. It's not uncommon that people don't want to turn over everything. But the more they can help us help them, um, the better the better the process will be. Um, you know, we've been talking a little bit about um, ways that you can control the costs. And so I want to I want to shift now and really talk about how we help empower our clients, um, what clients really need to know when it comes to what they can do to control those costs. Um, Hannah, I want to talk with you a little bit about mm-hmm. in terms of um, just tips for clients when working with lawyers. One thing
3: would be ask questions, read the engagement agreement or the contract and see what the billing procedures are. Make sure you understand it. If you don't, ask follow-up questions. Read the bill when you receive it. Make sure you know what time is being spent on and that way you can use your attorney's time as efficiently as possible. For example, on a phone call, have your goals and your questions set out beforehand. Make sure you you know get everything answered as you need it and then end the conversation. Another good resource is paralegals. They have a lot of the answers. They're usually as involved in your cases as the attorneys. And they can answer a whole lot of questions without taking up the billing time of an attorney.
0: Of course, paralegals can't answer legal questions. That has to go to the yes, lawyers. Yes, uh, But, you know, when you're hiring a law firm to hire a firm that really uses good mm-hmm. paralegals, um, I think, can be a tremendous cost savings. When we talk about sort of billing practices for people who have never hired a law firm before, that can be a little bit overwhelming. Um, what, do you, what should they look for in the engagement agreement? And, Lindsay, I'll, I'll shift to you for
2: that question. Every law firm does things differently. So most firms are going to require you to pay a retainer, which think of that as the piggy bank or your gas tank for your legal fees. And different firms bill at different increments. Some firms bill at 10th of an hour. Some firms bill at quarter of an hour uh, increments. Then find out what the hourly rate is for your lawyer, what the hourly rate is for paralegals, for secretaries, and know how often the billing cycles are for instance we bill twice a month because we feel like it's helpful to our clients to not just get that at the end of the month and to see things as they go along so they can ask those questions and say hey what's all this work we're doing it's not as big of a shock i don't think
0: Exactly. Um, I want to follow up with a couple of questions on that. And one is talking about the retainer. So that often can seem really um, uncomfortable for people. Like I said, if you've not hired a lawyer before, so you actually pay money into what you said is like a piggy bank or the gas tank. Um, But that's not it, right? Then they have to continue to pay more. How is it that the retainer actually benefits clients in in their legal case, and the provision of legal services?
2: I think the main reason it benefits our clients to have that money in retainer, which it's their money until we earn it, but keeping that retainer replenished keeps us from having to be their bill collector while also being their lawyer. It's a very uncomfortable conversation when you owe someone money, but you still want them to be performing services for you. So, we're very intentional about having that tough conversation about money with clients and talking about the cost. And this exact conversation we're having here today, we want our clients to be empowered, to know to make the right decisions and use us in the best way possible they can to meet their objectives.
0: And another thing that you just talked about is you know, looking at the different hourly rates. And, and sometimes when people go to shop for a lawyer, they may think that getting the least expensive lawyer is gonna be most
2: valuable to their case. Um, what is your response to that? I think on some level you get what you pay for, but just because you hire the most expensive lawyer in town doesn't mean it's the right fit for you. It's a very intimate relationship you have with your lawyer because they know everything about your finances, your love life, your kids. And so finding the right chemistry, the right balance with the person, someone you can communicate with, that's not something you can necessarily put a price on. So I think that Ask your friends who have gone through this, ask them what they liked about their lawyers, how communicative their lawyers were with them. And then you can find the different price ranges for lawyers providing services to find the right fit for yourself.
0: Some great advice there. Melanie, we're gonna turn now and talk a little bit about um, what we've Touched on is the discovery process and that expensive um, part of the divorce. What tips do you have for your clients when it actually comes time to uh, turning over information? Well, I think the
1: first thing that a client needs to do is carefully review the documents that have been requested from you. Um, We can also help with that review process. If you ask your attorney, they'd probably be willing to create a checklist so that you could go over that. We actually do have a checklist for some of the initial discovery requests that we go through for all of our cases. Um, So once that checklist is created, um, gathering the information early, early, early is really important. What we see a lot of times is um, somebody who has, you know, not requested the documents that we need, and both of us end up spending a lot of time chasing down information that, that we really, we do need, but that we're wasting time trying to get it. And so that also can create problems like um, Lindsay was saying with you know people um, you know filing things in court to compel you to produce these things you want to avoid those kinds of problems by gathering your documents early and getting them complete so you don't want to miss statements you don't want missing pages you don't want to send just the first page of something you want to send your full bank statement or your full mortgage statement. Um, so that we're not trying to chase you down to get those documents when we're on a deadline.
0: Some really good advice there. So I think one thing that's really common these days that we see a lot of is people provide screenshots as opposed to downloading the full statement. And of course, when they give us just the screenshot, that means we have to have a phone call, we have to follow up and you know, walk them through um, downloading. And of course, we never mind doing that. That's part of what we're there to do is to help them. But um, I think also, you know, the more, the more we can have them do early on, um, so we're not doing it all at the last minute, the more helpful we can be. And spending some time
1: organizing your documents like by date or in some logical fashion is also really helpful because remember, even though it sometimes feels like these documents are just for the other side, they're actually the documents that I'm using when I go to court to put your case on. So if you spend a lot of time upfront organizing your documents in a logical fashion, that's less time that I have to spend and charge you for to get those documents organized. <laughs> um, and so they, they, are, they are my documents that I am going to use to help you win. If we have to go to court, so that's really important to remember.
0: And I, I think you know, it it used to be it wasn't uncommon when people would just bring in shopping bags of papers, and we'd have to mm-hmm. sift through it all and get it organized. But in digital format, it's very much the same. If they just you know send us the, a bunch of stuff via email or different ways that they're sending us, and we have to go and sort through that, and that can be a big expense as yeah. well. We
1: we always use a Dropbox instead of email. I find that sometimes if we're if clients are exchanging. Via email, those you get so many emails in a day. Sometimes those get lost, so it's really more efficient for us and for our clients if we set up a Dropbox or other centralized location where they can put those documents and we can gather them when we need them. Um, But like I said, it's really it's we want those done in advance. We want to make sure that when we are ready for them, they're all there and they're in a comprehensive order.
0: And just um, just so people understand, kind of the consequences if. The documents are not turned over what what do you see typically happens when we're not able to provide all the information that is requested
1: so it depends on the circumstance and i think there's a great deal of misunderstanding over what we're obligated to produce even among other attorneys it's not just stuff you have like sitting at home we're not talking about the stuff you can easily access if you have the right to get that document even if the other side has the same right you're still obligated to make sure you produce that. Failing to produce it can result in the opposing party filing for sanctions against you, which is like, a it's essentially a fine, the way you would pay a fine for like a traffic ticket, but you could be sanctioned. You could be made to pay the other side's attorney's fees if they have to force you to go to court to get those documents, um, and, and that's no fun. We wanna just, We want to follow the rules. It's much less expensive to play by the rules and turn everything over the first time. And like I said, I know this feels to our clients like we are, why are we doing this? Why are we giving them what they ask for? It's not about that. These are our documents that we need to put your case on too. For me to do my job for you, I have to do these things. So it's not why are we turning stuff over? It's you need to give me these things so that I can help you get your case resolved. Um, whether that's through mediation or court, it's still the same process. You're still gonna exchange these same documents.
0: Um, and I think one more thing on this point, because it is it is a sore spot and it's something we see that comes up so much, is people will often say, well, why am I having to do all of this? And they're not. And, and how do you respond to that? Well,
1: that's not true <laughs> for one thing. That I actually really love the new rules like Lindsay was talking about. Um, it used to be that we had no obligation to turn any documents over to anybody on the other side. You had to wait for them to ask for stuff. Um, Now we actually have an affirmative obligation to turn over certain documents, like two years worth of bank statements and two years worth of retirement statements. You have to turn over deed records and things like that. Um, And that exchange of information facilitates the settlement of your case. And that's why it's really, really important just to go ahead and get those done. Um, It's like I said, not about you know, why aren't, why isn't the other side doing it? They are doing it because now we all have to do the same thing. We all have to turn over the same documents at the same time.
0: And if they're not doing what they're supposed to do, it's a lot easier to ask for help for the court when we have done everything we're supposed to do.
1: And the courts will help. That's exactly right, they will help. They will give you, I mean, we have had multiple motions to compel on one of my cases recently, and the courts have, have very clearly said, you have to turn these documents over. They're, they're not optional. So yeah. you can win that battle pretty, pretty easily.
2: And, and beyond it, the fine, um, it can be something even more serious of evidence being excluded. We right. have a term called death penalty sanctions, which is you've been asked once, you've been asked twice, you're ignoring the judge. And that's something that keep you from putting your case on in court, using that witness, that expert, that document that proves your case, simply because you were resistant to providing the information the judge told you to get the other side.
0: And even if you don't get death penalty sanctions, what what you probably will get is a continuance in your case, which means this is gonna go on longer and there's gonna be more expenses and more costs associated with that. Great yeah. points. Hannah, I want to um, turn to you because I, one more thing that you and I had talked about uh, before was sort of the do-it-yourself divorce that people think that maybe they can sh- control costs by doing, doing, <laughs> <laughs> by doing more of um, the legal work themselves. And how, how do you respond to that? Well, like Lindsay said, you, you get what you pay for
3: and the decree is a document that's going to affect you for the rest of most likely your life in terms of property, the rest of your children's lives in terms of kids. Um, it's something you don't wanna take lightly. You wanna make sure that it's done correctly the first time. Uh, a lot of clients end up having to pay a lot more down the road to you know unravel something that was done poorly the first time, whether by that was you know not communicating with their attorney the first time or do-it-yourself forms that you can get online. If you have any kind of property at all, you really wanna make sure you're doing this correctly, and that the, the assets get awarded. Um, I've seen, you know, decrees, the do-it-yourself forms that you know leave off the child in a divorce decree, and a mom <laughs> loses out on seven years of child support. That's. Th- those are real consequences to not having hired an attorney in the first place.
0: And then to go and have to fix those things can end up costing so much more money, right. whether it's because you lost out on child support for seven years or because you know a house wasn't uh, properly awarded in a decree. Right. And, and it can create a lot more legal expenses on the back end.
3: And other things that you wouldn't necessarily think of, um, debts affecting your credit because they weren't awarded correctly to one side
2: or the other.
0: Exactly. And of course, there is a lot of good information on Google. We talk about that. (laughs) Our firm has a lot of good information out there. But people need to understand that, you know, every situation is different. And that's why, you know, sitting down with a lawyer, um, at least maybe for a consultation, at least getting an hour of time to kind of understand how things, how the law is going to apply to your situation, um, and really, you know, going with full representation um, can, can be so much more cost effective in the long run. Um as we kind of shift gears one more time I want to I want to talk a little bit about you know the benefits um or maybe the costs of of divorce and where you've seen what you've seen people when they decide maybe not to move forward with the divorce because they're afraid of costs um you know what you've seen in terms of clients who have uh you've worked with and counseled um and maybe also just kind of the benefits of you know when people really are intentional and uh, make good decisions in the divorce process how how paying for that um, can actually bring value to their lives
2: well in my experience especially when kids are involved a lot of people think oh we need to try to work this out for the kids make it work for the kids and it's not a decision to take lightly to dissolve your marriage but I urge my clients to think, what behavior are you modeling for your children? Is this a toxic environment? Even if it's not something like physical violence or yelling or screaming, the silent treatment is something kids learn. They absorb like a sponge. And their future romantic relationships, friendships are modeled from their parents because those are the first examples of human behavior that they see. So trying to put off the actual divorce itself is less important than dealing with resolving the conflict, even if that ultimately leads to the two of you parting ways in your marriage. Because you're gonna be co-parents going forward and you want that relationship to be the one that is maintained, and that you can move on to that next chapter together.
0: I think I think that's a good point and a really valid point because a lot of people do decide to stay together for the sake of the kids, and um, when they make that decision, you know, we always hope that it's it's for the best. But oftentimes, you know, staying in a toxic situation can just create more stress and trauma for children.
1: Absolutely,
0: um, Hannah. What are some of the benefits you've seen uh, for your clients when they? approach divorce with intention and uh, really look to get the best outcome?
3: Well, <clears throat> that's one of the best things that you can do to reduce the overall costs, and you know, financial and emotional costs, is to be intentional upfront and set goals and communicate those goals to your attorney and stick to those goals. If you know co-parenting with the other parent is a goal of yours, which I believe it should be <laughs> to whenever possible, um, Keep that in mind. Every decision that you make along the way should reflect those goals.
0: And that's—have um, you had clients who you've seen, you know, in their post-divorce life, they've actually gotten along better?
3: Very much, so. Very much so.
0: And what are some of the factors you think played into that into that outcome?
3: I will say, the attorneys that are in the original case, the divorce, um, set the tone and can help guide the parties to setting the tone for their co-parenting relationship going forward. There's an extent to which you can't quite backpedal your co parenting relationship after having testified against each other in open mm-hmm. court. There's only so much mudslinging that that relationship can withstand. Um, so I think, whenever possible, it's better to keep the you know the family preservation in mind, even when there's conflict, um, and and keep that in mind going forward.
0: Uh, Melody, just kind of as we as we kind of close out here, um, what you know, in your experience, what are some of the positive aspects of a divorce that you've seen, um, and just what is the hope for your clients when you're representing them in divorce?
1: When I talk to my clients about divorce, one of the things that um, I will frequently tell them is to to think about you know first we get these people that are, sometimes they're really angry and they kind of have the idea of, I want to get back at this person. They did these things to me. I want to get everything I possibly can. And what I talk to them about is sort of what I think of as the um, intangible benefits that come from getting a divorce, which is things you can't you can't put a number on. You can't put a dollar value on your peace of mind. You can't put a dollar value on um, the relief you feel when you've left a person who's, you know, emotionally abusive to you, or who's emotionally abusive to your children, who, or someone you're fighting with all the time. And so, I like to talk about that. You know, there are going to be these intangible costs that that will come from taking a case to trial or settling it. Um, that's typically what I will talk to my clients about when I tell you know try to encourage settlement or when I try to talk to them about you know where they're headed and why they're going there, um, and that usually helps them kind of see the big picture I think, um, because then they sort of understand you know there there is going to be a light at the end of the tunnel. This is you know it sounds cliche but it's really true um, for many of them, and they are usually very relieved and very happy when they've gotten to the end of that rope or road.
0: That's great. Well, one of the things I really appreciate about each of you is that uh, the clients are always at the forefront. And of course, we all work together at Hargray Family Law, and it is truly a privilege to get to work with each of you. And if you want to learn more about any of our lawyers here today or about other tips uh, for helping to control the cost of divorce, we hope you'll check out our website at Hargray Family Law, and we hope you'll continue to subscribe to our podcast and to the information we're bringing to you. Thank you.